to week three of our summer concert series. If you wonder, uh, I know Denise, well, we were talking to some new people, and Denise said, lady, said could you just tell me, uh, why because this was during rehearsal, why are they practicing and doing a queen song? <laughs> and, uh, you know, Denise explained to her, you know, we do this every year. We do call it summer concert series, where we take a song, man, a secular song, because how many of you know... Uh, People that don't go to church and even a lot of church people aren't listening to the local Christian radio station. So we, I got two waters. I'm doubling up today. They must think I'm going to preach really hard today, man. It's going to be on. Woo! Got my work cut out for me. Uh, But we just feel like, man, God has called us uh, not to be church as normal. We decided that the last thing this community needed was just another church. But it needed a people, a church for broken people, with broken people, because the church was never intended to be a museum for saints. It's intended to be a hospital for broken people. Amen. So, so that's why we do what we do, man. Uh, and we realize this: we're not for everybody. We know that, and we're fine with that. Uh, we just, we just, all we know is to be who we believe God has called us to be. Amen. Amen. Well. Uh, listen, uh, real quick, if you're uh, one of our online viewers, one, I want to apologize for the past couple of weeks. We've been trying to work out some technical difficulties, and we've had splotchy places in our viewing, but we're trying. Bob is assuring me we're good today because uh, we're updating some of our equipment, and with that, learning the new equipment. So uh, thank you for your patience, and keep tuning in. Uh, that song we just did, Somebody to Love, um, To me, it's more, and I don't know if you saw the movie Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, but to me, the song, and even watching the movie, this song is more about just this guy searching for love. Uh, To me, this song, he's searching for a reason to live. He's searching for a reason to go on for some purpose, for some meaning in his life. He takes the religious uh, approach. The lyrics say this, Lord, what, what are you doing to me? I spent all my years believing in you, but I just can't get no relief. Come on, anybody ever said that? Let's be honest. And then he goes to that, well, I, I can't get it through religion, so I'm just going to work. I'm going to work. And he says, I work hard every day of my life. I work till I ache in my bones. But at the end of the day, I take my home, my hard-earned pay on my own. Then he turns back to God. So I get down on my knees and I start to pray till the tears run down from my eyes. Lord, can anybody find me somebody to love? He tries religion. He tries throwing himself into his work, into his career. But at the end of the day, guess what? He's still empty. He's still searching. He's still trying to find that thing that gives him meaning, gives him value. And I believe that's the state of our culture today. We are in this search, searching to try to... Man, we are going through one of the biggest searches for identity I've ever seen. I mean, am I gay, straight, man, woman, them, they? Am I skinny enough, uh, smart enough, liked enough? Am I posting enough on TikTok or social media so somebody will notice me? Am I praying enough? Am I working hard enough? Am I doing enough? Will I ever be enough? We're searching. Searching for release from the, relief from the noise in this chaotic world. 
Come on, it's crazy out there right now. It, it, it is crazy. And desperately searching for acceptance to be wanted. Searching, uh, and we don't even care. Hey, if that means I have to give a piece of myself away to find it, I'm willing to do that. Freddie Mercury then says this in this song, Got no feel, I got no rhythm. I keep losing my beat. In other words, I'm to a place now where I'm just numb. I'm just numb. Then he goes into what we all do sometimes, and that is trying to convince ourselves that everything is okay. Church people are the worst at this. How are you doing? Oh, blessed and highly favored. <laughs> really? Because uh, I've seen some of your Facebook posts, and it looks like you're highly disappointed and frustrated. <laughs> but then he, because Freddie goes and says, I'm okay, I'm all right. I've just got to get out of this prison cell. One day, he ends with this, one day I'm going to be free. I believe his search is for more than somebody to love. And what, I, I watched the, the movie, because uh, I'm a huge uh, music guy and movie guy. So I watched the movie, and from the movie, man, his whole search is for significance. I mean, you watch the relationship with his dad. His dad tried to accept him. His dad, dad and, and it's for, I, I want to be wanted. I want to feel like I'm needed. And when I say, I think we're all searching for significance. I mean, when, you, when I say significance, what I mean, here's the definition of significance, and I don't think this is working, guys, so if you can help me. The quality of being worthy of attention, important, having meaning. Man, Freddie Mercury, you watch the story of his life, Man, he just wanted the acceptance, the approval of his father, of other people in his life. He wanted to feel, I matter. I'm significant. And we desperately search for significance. We want to feel like we're worthy of someone's affection or someone's attention. We want to feel like we're important, that our lives have meaning and purpose. Why? Because we all just, come on, at the end of the day, we want to be loved. I mean, really loved. Here's the problem, and I'm getting a little feedback or a ring up here. In our search for love and acceptance and meaning and purpose, significance, we begin to make decisions that give us anything else but the very best God has for us. You know, um, how, many, how many we got? School just started back up. How many we got in school? You know, I don't know whether it's middle. Hey, how many of those you you love to walk into a classroom to hear this pop quiz? How many of that's your favorite? If you're one of those people that say, "Yo, I love it, I love it," well, the other kids in the classroom did not like you at all. <laughs> I, I did not like tests, but if I had to take a test, you know, my favorite test to take: open book. Why? Because with a little searching, I can find all the answers that I need because they're right there in front of me. They're in that book. But what happens? We get lazy and we're like, oh, man, come on. I'm searching. So we start looking to the person to our left or right who we think, oh, they have all the answers anyway. So we start copying. We look and we start writing down their answers to the point where their perception of truth now becomes our perception of truth. 
because we didn't want to search it out for ourselves. Are you hearing me? And I believe, man, that is speak, that is culture today. We don't want, so we look to somebody, some person, some celebrity, something we say, what? They look like they've got it all together. They look like they know the truth. So let me just listen to them. Oh, that's that. That's all right. It's going to get better or worse. Depends on how you look at it. We have so many people that are frustrated in their searching that they just, hey, you know what? I'm just frustrated. I'm tired. I'm just going to look over and copy off them. Whatever they say is right, I'm going to allow that to be my belief system. Whatever they say goes. Or we say, you know what? I'm just tired of getting it wrong. I'm worn out. I don't, it's obvious I don't have the answer, so let me just look over here. Listen, be careful who you listen to in your searching. This is not on your points, but it should have been. The world is ready and willing to give you their answers. In Romans, and this is not our main place today, but Romans 1, Paul makes a couple of statements about these people um, that, that they know the truth, but they're not living the truth. And here's what he says in Romans 1, 21, and, and, and I love the passion's paraphrasing of this. If you'll bring that up. Throughout human history, the fingerprints of God were upon them, yet they refused to honor him as God or even be thankful for his kindness. Look what they begin to do. Instead, they entertain corrupt and foolish thoughts about what God was like. Sound familiar? This left them with nothing but misguided hearts steeped in moral darkness. That's a picture of our world right now. Then let's jump down to verse 24. Look at this. This is why God lifted off his restraining hand and let them have full expression of their sinful and shameful desires. They were given over to moral depravity, dishonoring their bodies by sexual perversion among themselves. Here's why, verse 25, all because, bring that up, all because they traded the truth of God for a lie. All because they chose to not search, but just copy the answers from somebody they believed had the answers. They exchanged God's truth for a lie. That's the state of our culture today. We've made some bad trades. Today I want to look at a trade that was made in the Bible that involves two brothers, um, twins, not identical twins. In fact, when you hear the description of these twins, uh, it's like they had a different mom altogether, but they're twins. They're part of a really dysfunctional family, as I find a lot of the families in the Bible are very dysfunctional. You've got the mom who loves one son more than the other. The dad loves the other son more than, he lo- more than this son. And it's just very dysfunctional. And I believe at the very core of this story it is one search for significance. Turn with me if you've got a Bible. Genesis chapter 5. If not, we're going to bring it up on the screen, what my brother likes to call the sky Bible. And verse 25, starting with verse 24. When the time came to give birth, Rebecca discovered she didn't indeed have twins. What a terrible time to discover you've got twins when you're giving birth. Uh, of course, they didn't have, you know, never mind. Uh, the first one was very red, covered with thick hair like a fur coat. So they named him Esau. 
Then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob. The search for significance started before they were even out of the womb. I want to be born first. And that grasped his hands. Isaac, this, oh, this kills me. Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. I am 53. I would rather lose my right leg than find out I was going to have another baby. It just, some of y'all are like, yeah, some of y'all aren't even half my age. You're like, hey, hey, I'm convinced of this. Parents, let your kid work a shift in the nursery. Best birth control ever. Let's send them out there. Let them, hey, have it. Oh, no, you change that diaper. Oh, is he peeing in your face? Go ahead, it's all right. Go ahead, do it. Let's read on verse 27. I'm getting distracted. As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Verse 29. One day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starving. Give me some of that red stew. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your birthright. Let's stop there. Because I don't think in this culture we're in today, this society, we understand what uh, Jacob is asking Esau to give up. Trade me your birthright. Here's what came with the birthright being the firstborn. You got double the inheritance of everybody else in the family. And Isaac, let's say this, he wasn't hurting for money. So he was going to be a rich young man. He was asking him to give up. He was asking him to give up his spot as head of the family. Which, which also meant a special blessing because in this time and this culture, this day, uh, God would speak to fam through the head of that family. So he's asking him to give up a special relationship with God. And the Hebrews counted the blessing given by the Father to be extremely important. In fact, it was considered an oral contract, which was just as good as a written contract. That's just some of what Jacob was trying to get Esau to trade for. This has to be possibly the worst trade in history. With the exception of when the Colts traded Peyton Manning to Denver. Never mind, let's just keep it going. So Esau comes in, he's from hunting, from searching, he's hungry. Why? Because his searching turned up nothing that he wanted. So he's hungry, he's frustrated, he smells stew cooking, and he says, give me some of that stew. And Esau says, trade me your birthright. If you're taking notes, this is your first write-in. In your searching, be careful who you talk to when you're vulnerable. When you're weak, when you're hurt, when you're vulnerable, be careful who you talk to, who you allow to speak back into you. When you've been searching and you're longing for something, you're wanting to feel worth, you're wanting to feel some significance, be careful because here I've learned this over and over, and this is not in your notes, but it should be. Wrong voices equals wrong choices every time. Who you allow to speak into you. 
Esau comes in from searching. He sees, he smells uh, something that he says, man, this is what I was out there looking for. And it's right here in front of me, ready to go. And Jacob says, hey, hey, let's work out a trade. Or Jacob says, let's, I'll tell you what, I've got this stew, man, it smell, don't, don't smell so good. I, I can see him just kind of blowing the smell over toward Esau. Oh, you hungry? I'm so sorry. Oh, would you like some of this stew? Oh, it's just fresh. Uh, let's work out a trade. Can, can I tell you what I'm thinking, being from the South, growing up in the South, with brothers? Uh, you've got a mountain man, hungry. You've got his skinny jean, v-neck wearing mama's boy, metrosexual over here. If I'm Esau, I'm just, oh, here's the trade. You give me that suit, I'm going to punch you in the mouth. That's the trade we're making. But yet he's vulnerable. He's all searching for something to fill him. And Jacob catches him when he's weak, when he's hungry. And Esau has somehow in that moment forgets who he is. The firstborn, the birthright, and everything that comes with it. You ever been so hungry where you're like, I'm starving. And so you go on this search for a restaurant. You even you yelp it. Hey, let's pull up Yelp. What's good in this area? And then, oh, it's got great reviews, great reviews. You go in there, man. You are starving. You sit down. Suddenly, everything looks good to you. You order. They bring out the food. You eat it. And you're almost immediately disappointed because you were just so hungry. But you believe what others said, nobody that you really knew. It's the opinion of somebody else. I'll never forget I was on this fast. Um, it, it was probably one of my first fasts I ever went on. Seven-day full fast. Man, I was dedicated. Nothing but water. That's all it's going to be. Well, at the end of that, I had to go out on this job that I just hated. I hated this job. I was out of town. And at midnight that night, my fast was over. I'm hungry. I'm frustrated. I hate this job I'm on. But I go at midnight, 12.01, I'm in line at the convenience store. I'm buying me some Doritos, some chocolate milk. I'm buying me candy, candy bars. I sit out in the car. I eat it. I immediately regretted my decision because I was hungry. I was frustrated. Hated where I was at in life. And I allow that frustration. In fact, this is your second point. In your searching, don't allow unsatisfied appetites be ruled by temporary emotions. Isn't that what Esau did? He comes in, hunting and searching, smells something that resembles what he'd been out hunting for. Jacob offers him a trade, and this tough mountain man turns immediately into a drama queen. Look, look what he says, verse 2. Pull that up. Look, I'm dying of starvation. What good is my birthright if I die of starvation? I can imagine that's what Je how Esau sounds. He's over-exaggerating. He's got these emotions. Don't allow those unsatisfied appetites in you to be ruled by your emotions to where you settle for something less than what God has for you. 
Let's take this a little further. When do experts tell you not to go shopping for groceries? When you're hungry, why? Because everything looks good. Stuff you normally wouldn't even give a second thought. Pick a pig's feet. Whoa, let me hear some. Yes way. Yes way. I mean, stuff you like, man, I've never tried about pigs. I like pigs. I like my feet. How bad can it be? And you just start trying. Even nutritionists will tell you if you're, if you're trying to diet, the worst thing you can do is go all day without eating. It's the worst thing you can do. Why? Because you get home from work or whatever your day, you're sitting around watching TV that evening, and you think, you're trying to eat healthy, trying to lose weight, trying to get right, and you think, I wonder what's in the fridge. Get up, walk over here to the fridge, open that door. That moose track just winks at you. And you're like, no, not today, Satan. So you go, no, come on, come on. And then you get back, well, come on. You open it up, and then it blows your kiss. It's flirting with you. And then before you know it, you are elbow deep in moose tracks. And it's all gone. Why? Because you, found, you let yourself get hungry. And you settle for something that you knew you didn't need to have. Come on. When you're searching, when you're searching for significance, for love, for the feeling of being worthy, a lot of times we'll reach for the very first thing we think will satisfy that longing. A lot of times I believe the reason we make bad trades in life, that we compromise our beliefs or integrity, isn't because we're bad people. It's because we were hungry, we were searching, we were longing, we were frustrated, so we settled for the first thing we thought could bring us relief. Come on. You know, you ever been in the kitchen? I've, I've been there. I've been in the kitchen. Just get up I'm, and, and just go in there and start looking through the cabinets. And they say, hey, hey, what, what are you looking for? I don't even know. I don't even know what I'm looking for. Just, it'll speak to me. I think a lot of times that's the way we go through life and are searching. Hey, what, I don't, we don't even know what we're looking for. We just don't, we just know we don't have it. We don't even know what it is. We just know we don't have it. That's a problem. We don't know. We even know what we want. We just know we don't have it. My wife loves this survival show uh, called Alone. Anybody watch it? She loves it. Uh, one of my favorite commercials, I don't know if you saw it, where the guys, him and his wife are watching it, and the guy's like, I could totally do that. And it shows him what he thinks he's doing, then it shows what, in reality, what would happen. Yeah, that's me. Uh, I was... My idea, see, people that love camping, I don't understand it. I do not, I don't enjoy going to pretend I'm homeless for a day or two. There's nothing that I enjoy about that. Uh, but if you do, praise God. You're your own thing. She loves this show. And, and, and I used to love it. Anybody remember, uh, I think anybody used to, Naked and Afraid, where they drop these people out? It, here, here's what would happen. They know, they know the truth. If I want water... I've got to boil this water before I consume it. They know that. Yet almost every episode, you've got one person. They get so thirsty. They, get, they want water so much. They look at that stream and they're like, this one time won't hurt. It looks good. It looks fresh. And they drink it. 
And the next thing you know, they're bent over. And they've got something going on at both ends that they cannot describe. And they're being airlifted out of there. I think that's us. We get to this place and they're searching air warning. We know that, no, this, no, no, I got to, before that, I got to do this. But we, but we get so desperate. This one time won't hurt. And then before we know it, we've poisoned ourselves in, on the inside. Something that, will get, that we thought, just this one time won't hurt. Just one time we hurt. Won't hurt. In Hebrews 12, Paul's talking to this group of people about how to finish this life well. I mean, he gives you some great things. He said, live with peace with everyone. He says, work at living a holy life. Look after each other. Watch out for bitterness. That, those are good things. But then he says this, watch out for the Esau syndrome, trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. He's referring to Esau. That short-term appetite, trading away his gift. The birthright. In other words, don't allow unsatisfied appetites or hunger to be ruled by temporary emotions. Esau says, I'm starving. Unsatisfied appetite. And he says, what good is my birthright if I'm dead from starvation? Exaggerated emotion. Let's go, uh, let's go on verse 33 of Genesis 25. But Jacob said, first you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. He traded his birthright for a bowl of soup. A bowl of soup. Does that sound insane? I mean, honestly, everything that came along with that birthright, in a moment he traded it for a bowl of soup. And we would think, man, that's just crazy. But the truth is, we do it every day. We walk around with this empty bowl, looking, searching. And here's the thing, when your bowl is empty, and if you're not careful, people will begin to fill your bowl with their brokenness, their truth, their take on life. I wonder what would happen. Because I believe this is why community is so important. I wonder what would happen if Esau had a good buddy that maybe he was hunting with or doing life with. And he came in with it and said, Esau, man, this is a bad trade. Walk away from this. I believe a lot of times if we have people in their life, that, but the thing is, when we know we're making a bad trade or doing something, we, we don't want people in their circle because we know what their opinion will be. I've been cut off from relationships just because I spoke what I felt like. Hey, this is what I believe God's saying to you. And they didn't like it. Come on, are you hearing me? There are people here, man. You're walking around with your empty bowl, just wanting it to be filled. The problem is you're taking your bowl to be filled in all the wrong places. And God is saying to you today, walk away. This is a bad trade. Walk away. Let's look how this ends. Verse 34. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread, some lentil stew. He ate and drank, then he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. He ate, drank, got up and left, and despised the very thing he made the trade for. 
That what, that's what happens every time you settle for less than what God asks for you. You partake of it. You enjoy it. But then you walk away. And you despise the very thing or the very person you made the trade for. I'm telling you, it leaves you, it leaves you with this feeling. I thought there would be more. Don't you ever have that? You, you actually, I, I thought, is this all there is? I really thought there'd be more. I thought this would change my life. I thought that things would be different. And we end up despising and regretting the trade we made. You jump down to uh, Genesis 27. Isaac is old. He's on his deathbed. And look what, look what happens. Isaac says, I'm an old man now. I don't know where, when I may die. He's talking to Esau. Take your bow and quiver full of arrows. Go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Verse 4, prepare my favorite dish and bring it here to me for me to eat. Then I will pronounce the blessing that what? Belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. Well, Rebecca overhears this. That it's, it's about to go down. And so she, she goes to her favorite son, Jacob, and said, Hey, this is what's about to happen. And then she tells him this in verse 8. Now, my son, listen to me and do exactly what I tell you. Again, be careful who you talk to when you're vulnerable. Jacob's search for significance in his life is still going on. I would say even more so now. So he's searching for significance, and here's this voice saying, do exactly what I tell you. And she comes up with this elaborate plan. You can read about it, uh, where she goes in to cook cook Isaac's favorite meal, and and then she dresses uh, Jacob in Esau's clothes to to pretend to be him because uh, Isaac at this time, his side is pretty much gone. And Jacob says, Mom, this will never work. Then look what she says. Lord, look what he says. But look, Jacob replied to Rebekah, my brother Esau, he's a hairy man. My skin's smooth. What if my father touches me? He'll see that I'm trying to trick him, and then he'll curse me instead of blessing me. And Rebekah says, son, leave it to me. And Jacob does what his mother tells him to do. He comes in dressed in Esau's clothes. He's got skin from the animal that that was killed, covering his arms, and and he comes in pretending to be Esau, verse 18. So Jacob took the food to his father. My father, he said, yes, my son, Isaac answered, who are you, Esau or Jacob? Jacob replied, it's Esau. He's lying. It's Esau, your firstborn son. I've done as you told me. Here's the wild game. Now sit up and eat it so you can give me your blessing. Isaac asked, how did you find it so quickly, my son? Look what, look what uh, Jacob says. The Lord your God put it in my path. Isn't it funny how people that know God, people that have been raised around church, to, to, to uh, make what they're, they're doing that they know is wrong, to make it sound right, they'll give it a spiritual spin to it. They'll put churchy words in front of it. And oh, Dad, the Lord your God, he put it right in my path. Jacob is searching for approval. 
And here's someone with the answer. His mom said, do this, do this, do this. And he's searching. Here's the lie that Jacob bought into that so many of us buy into. If you'll bring that up. Jacob began to believe that the blessing intended for someone else was better than the blessing intended for him. He began to look at other people's lives. What they've got is better than what God is going to give me. And he began to scheme. See, early in his life, Esau made a trade for food. Here, Jacob wasn't trading for food. He was trading for approval. And he became so desperate that he didn't care who he hurt, who he had to lie to to get it. Jacob knew this was wrong. He knew it wasn't right, but he wanted acceptance, approval, significance so bad that he talked himself into thinking, it'll be all right just this once. I see this every day in relationships, in jobs, marriages, sins, habits, where we make excuses for why we do what we do. We'll even spiritualize it sometimes. Well, this is just who I am. This is how God made me. Well, if God didn't want them in my life, he wouldn't have sent them my way. And we'll do things. We know what God's truth says about it, but we trade that truth for a lie. Because in our searching, we want the piece of the puzzle to fit so bad that we take somebody else's truth that they've learned to live by and we take it on as our own. Let's read on. Let's close this thing out. Verse 21, Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come closer so I can touch you and make sure that you really are Esau. So Jacob went closer to his father. Isaac touched him. Pay close attention to this, these next words. The, here's what Isaac said. The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau's. We'll come back to that. But he did not recognize Jacob because Jacob's hands felt hairy just like Esau's. So Isaac prepared to bless Jacob. And Isaac still isn't sure. Look, verse 24. But are you really my son Esau? Yes, I am, Jacob replied. Then Isaac said, now my son, bring me the wild game. Let me eat it. Then I will give you my blessing. Isaac said, the voice is Jacob." But the hands, what I'm feeling, is Esau. In other words, I recognize the voice, but my emotions and feelings are telling me something else. Come on, how many times that take place? We recognize the voice. We know that voice is telling us, don't do this or don't do this. But our emotions, our feelings, cause us to do something else. How many times did it happen? We go on our feelings. If it makes me feel loved, if it makes me feel important, if it makes me feel wanted, if it makes me feel good, it's all about our feelings. This final point is this. In your searching, don't trade truth for feelings. See, there are certain things we know what God's Word says. But we've traded truth for feelings. We've traded a temporary fix. Come on. We'll go out and we'll have these one-night hookups. And we're wanting love, but we're settling for that. 
Are you hearing me? We want acceptance. So we'll become something we're not to be accepted. I mean, I see it every day. If you're in in school, you see it every day. And we buy into the fact that what we see on Instagram, what we see on social media, Facebook, whatever, that is the truth about this person. When that person, when they log off social media, they are just as empty and void as you, but they're trying to portray a truth that does not belong to them. Isaac's feelings would lead him to bless the wrong son, thus igniting a lifetime war between his two sons. Stand with me, if you will. 